Father, we do thank you once again, Lord, just getting us here and pray that you would bless this time. Lord, I think of uh, reading on the news last night and this morning how uh, again uh, some churches were bombed in Egypt. And God, I just think what a disruption to what you're doing. And yet, God, I know you can bring beauty for ashes. And you can take that situation and you can turn it around and make it something that glorifies you and honors you. So, Lord, we pray for the victims. We pray for families that are trying to deal with that and and process all of that. And God, we do ask that you would bless this time as we watch and see the gospel beginning to spread throughout the world. And we get glimpses into some cross-cultural ministry and, and some men and women deciding to step out of their comfort zones. And Lord, do things that, Lord, they never, they never even thought they were going to do. They never even dreamt about doing, but yet you have them doing them. So as we read about Paul and the, the, the group with him, I pray once again it would just encourage us in our walk with you, in our service towards you, Lord, in our stepping out in faith and getting out of our comfort zones, God, to do what you've called us to do. So bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we, as we ended last week, if you remember, man, we're on the island of Cyprus. Remember, Paul and Barnabas were sent out. They were, they were uh, set apart by the Holy Spirit to go on a mission trip. Then we read they went to Cyprus. They're doing some ministry there, and they're reaching out to the people of Cyprus. Now they're getting ready to do what I call, really, I believe, finally do some real cross-cultural ministry. Cyprus was... Barnabas's home turf. So that's kind of not getting out of your comfort zone, right? That's kind of just going back home and sharing the gospel. Now, listen, now they're going to go to an area, and some people call it Paul's area, although I don't think it was, because I think his area is a little bit more northwest uh, of where they were. But listen, they're going to go to an area that's unknown to them, the place that they, they don't know the people. They haven't been introduced to the people. And yet here they are, man. They're going for one reason, to share Jesus with people who don't know Jesus. So I'm kind of liking the idea as they get to the coast there and they get once again to Paphos, they're, they're, they're getting ready to get on a boat. And i I, I got to be curious. I'm not sure they strategically planned, here's where we're going to go. I think they got to the dock and they said, where's the boat going? Oh, it's going to go? Well, that's where we're going then. And they get on the goat, uh, get on the goat, get on the boat. Well, maybe there was a goat there too, but they get on the boat and they take off. And that's where we pick it up. So look at verse 13. It says, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So kind of a quick thing. We get across, we go, we go across the Mediterranean back to what today would be southern Turkey, Asia Minor, and they land there, and as they get ready, Listen, I think they're making some plans of how they're going to go about now and the direction they're going to go. And all of a sudden, just kind of out of nowhere, Luke tells us, Mark decided to go home. And it's interesting the way Luke tells it. From Luke's perspective here, as he writes it, he said that, that John, uh, this, this one we know as Mark, that John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. And the verbiage he used, the word he uses there in original language, is just as somebody was there and they just left. They just took off and left and he went home. In Acts chapter 15, when Paul recounts this, Paul doesn't use that same word. Paul uses a word that he deserted us. 
Paul was not real happy with what decision that this John Mark made. Now, we don't know why he made it. It's interesting. We just get like a little brief thing and we never really find out. What made him take off? Why did he suddenly leave what was going on? Now, some, listen, some say maybe he didn't like the idea because did you notice at the beginning of verse 13 it says, now when Paul and his party... Remember before that? Do you guys remember before when they left Antioch and they went to Cyprus? Remember it was Barnabas and Saul. Now it's Paul and his party. And some say, well, maybe John Mark got a little bit jealous because Uncle Barney is not in charge anymore. I don't think he's that petty. You know, I think that's kind of like, come on. But then others say maybe he looked at, here's the thing, they landed at obviously sea level. And they're going to climb up about 4,000 feet to go where they're going. And the road was treacherous. It wasn't a good road. It was, not, it, was, it was hard to do. And it was full of bandits and different things. Maybe he looked at that and went, uh-uh, man, I'm not going up there. And maybe even he thought, I'm not going up there to preach to some Gentiles. I'm, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going back to Jerusalem. Or maybe he just said, I want to go home. Some people say he got homesick and want to go see mommy. I think that's kind of picking on him. You know, again, once again, I think you say those things as pastors and then you see John Mark in heaven, he may talk to you. Like, why are you talking smack about me? So I don't know. I don't, we, we don't know exactly what it was. From Luke's perspective, he just left. From Paul's perspective, he deserted them. So something happened. Oh, by the way, this area that they're in, or especially the area they're going to, as they end up in, in this uh, area of Antioch, uh, Pisidia, that is what we know of Galatia. Now, isn't it interesting, the first book in the Bible that Paul wrote was to the Galatians? Do you remember when, in that book, as he's writing to him? do you remember what he said? I came to you because of sickness. Hmm... So there's also the theory that when they landed in Perga, which was kind of a tropical area, that, and, and the area was definitely known for malaria and stuff, that Paul got malaria there, and maybe John Mark's thinking, I'm getting out of here. Maybe he's a germaphobe, right? I'm going, I don't want to get sick. He takes off. But it seems like something happened there to trigger that end. Now they take off, and again, Luke doesn't give us details in verse 14, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch, Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So remember, they left from Antioch. Now this is a different Antioch. He tells us Antioch, Pisidia. As I told you, when we went to the first Antioch, there was upwards of seven or eight different cities in, all in that region named Antioch. So they had to kind of give you Antioch of this, Antioch of that, so you, so you know which Antioch they were talking about. When Seleucius was conquering, remember you had, you had Alexander the Great conquering the world, and then after he died, he had his four generals he sent out, and, and, and uh, one of them that we knew was, was the Seleucids, we call them, and they went out and they conquered. Well, one of them, his name was Antiochus, and we knew him as Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, his son, Seleucius, when he would go conquer places, he would change the names of the city to name them after his dad, Antiochus. They would call him Antioch. Kind of with me? You guys tracking? Some of you don't even care. I can tell. 
But it's kind of interesting to know. He was, so he was just naming all these cities. So you have this new Antioch, and it's Antioch, Pisidia. So as I said, they climbed about 4,000 feet, went over a, a horrible road to get there, and they had to face all the bandits. Now, I don't know if any of you have any done kind of real cross-cultural ministry where you're really stepping out of your comfort zone, and you're in an area, and you don't know people there. You, you've never been introduced to them, and sometimes you're going in an area that could be somewhat hostile. That's scary. I've done that a few times in Mexico, and, uh, you know, and especially if one of your party gives up on you, that really stinks. And remember, remember Mark? Remember what he was doing, John Mark? Remember? He was carrying this stuff, right? He's carrying all the scrolls. I remember one time we were doing some ministry, and one of our guys departed, according to Luke. According to me, deserted us, took off and left. And we had to carry all the stuff. We were in the bottom of a canyon like the Grand Canyon. We had to climb up out of that canyon with his stuff and our stuff. I was mad all the way. i got to confess. Every step, I was not being kind in my heart. And I was doing ministry work. I got to the top and the Lord said, you need to repent. What do you mean I need to repent? He needs to repent. He's the one that deserted us. And he goes, yeah, but you've been killing him for the last two and a half hours. Mm. And sometimes we do that. And I'm thinking as they walked up that road and as they went, maybe, maybe it just dug into uh, Paul's heart, right? And now they're at the top. And notice where they went when they got there? They went to the synagogue. And it was the Sabbath day. So they go in. Now, here's what i got to imagine. I imagine Paul's got his stuff on, right? Remember who he was. He's a Pharisee, right? He was this guy educated under Gamaliel. He was the one, man, he had the stuff to bring, right? So he shows up at his synagogue. And I'm sure he's got to be, he's got to be wearing some kind of markings, right? Got to have the special robe on, doing stuff. And they go in, they sat down, and in verse 15 tells us, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. I love that. I love, just say on, right? Now, here's what I'm thinking. They had no idea who they were talking to, right? This is like, woo! Paul's thinking, Yes! Now, you have to understand a little bit about the culture. Every, sa- every Sabbath, they would, as they gather, even today, as the synagogues gather, every Sabbath they read out of the law and out of the prophets. They have scheduled readings. They're all reading the same thing. Some churches do that today, right? You have your liturgical readings and stuff going on. And, and you know what's kind of sad about that is you get so accustomed to that that you're reading the Bible, but it's not getting in you. It's not penetrating well they were doing that so they would read out of the law and the prophets and then someone would comment on what they've read out of the law and the prophets some some person would give up give a commentary give a sermon we could call it on what they've just read and especially if you had a visiting rabbi huh man you'd want them to do something right because he's a visitor so they'd say hey if you guys have anything to say if you have any exhortation any comment on this and i'm thinking man here's what i'm thinking they probably they probably read out of deuteronomy maybe even deuteronomy 7 you can look that up later and read it because i know you love the book of deuteronomy and listen man and then and then here's what i'm thinking and then they're reading out of some of the prophets maybe habakkuk maybe isaiah 
And so they're telling Paul, hey, you got anything to say about this? And I'm thinking Paul's going, yeah, I do. Yeah. So I love, then they say, say on. Isn't that, isn't that kind of cool? Instead of saying, hey, could you say something? Say on. And Paul's going, all right, now that you asked, I would love to do that. Notice how he starts in verse 16. Then Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Here's what he knows in the synagogue. In the synagogue, there's Jews that are going to be there. He knows they're going to be there. And then he says, And you men who fear God. We've talked about it before. There were Gentiles who were God-fearers, they called them. And listen, these guys, they wanted to follow Judaism and they would follow the law. They would follow the dietary laws. They would do, you know, they would go to the Sabbath. They would do those things. Except they didn't want to get circumcised. They wouldn't go that far. So they called them God-fearers or men who feared God. So they're close, but they're not all the way. So listen, Paul addresses the whole group, right? And he says, hey, here's what I'm going to tell you. So listen, he says, I want you to listen. Now he gives a little bit of history, letting them know, I paid attention to the reading this morning. Verse 17, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers as uh, our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. Now listen, as he's doing this, he's giving Jewish history, right? He's going real quick. He's going through some of the books of the Bible. But he's just letting them know, hey, if you ever want to really befriend Jewish people, talk about their history. They love their history. And, and listen, I think it's important for us as believers, we need to know Old Testament history. So Paul, listen, I don't think Paul had the, you know, a scroll in front of him that he's checking out. This is coming from his heart. This is what he studied. And he lets him know, listen, God raised us up out of Egypt, right? He exalted us. He brought us up out of there. And then I love it for 40 years. He, what? What did Paul say? That's kind of interesting the way he put it, right? Now for about a time of 40 years, God put up with them in the wilderness, right? It's kind of like, oh, I thought they were doing okay. No, God tolerated what they were doing. Kind of put up with them. Kind of like some of our parents put up with us as we were growing up, right? We're going through it. And then he says, listen, then God destroyed seven nations. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 7, you're going to find out who those seven nations were. And God destroyed the seven nations and distributed the land to them. And then, listen, he continues on with the lesson. And then after that, in verse 20, after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And then afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. So man, he's like powering through history, right? He goes through, he goes really quick, doesn't name the judges, but talks about the judges. Then he talks about Samuel, the last prophet. And if you know anything about Samuel, remember Samuel was leading Israel and the people asked for a king. And remember Samuel got hurt. He had kind of hurt his feelings. And he went and he kind of was, he was kind of pouting. And God says, what's up, Sammy? And he goes, well, these guys don't like me. And he goes, no, 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 Sam. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. 
Because God was to be their king, right? It was to be a theocracy. He was to be their ruler. And he goes, don't take it so hard. You know, just do what I tell you. And then he went and found Saul. And you can go back and read First and Second Samuel, get the whole story. So listen, do that for homework this afternoon. And then he gets Saul. And, God, and Saul then blows it big time. And along comes David. Now you want to get on Israel's good side. Again, you want to get on a Jew's good side. Now, you know, it's good to bring up Moses, man. They, they love Moses. And then talking about King David. He's the hero for them. He's a hero of heroes. So he brings up David and he says, listen, God, after you remove Saul, he put this one in charge here, David. And then I love it, whose testimony was David was a man after God's own heart. Wow. Do you guys know the history of David much? It's kind of it's disturbing when you know what David did and you know what this is saying. David committed adultery, right? He took another guy's wife. He was married, took another guy's wife. And then on top of that, he lied. And then on top of that, he murdered the guy who was married to the lady that he took. And that's someone who's after God's own heart. It's always interesting to me, newer believers kind of scratch their heads and they go, I don't get it. How can, how can that be said of that man? Well, it's very simple. You see, God doesn't look at us, or did He look at David, or did He look at anybody, and expect perfection. But God expects a heart that is soft and tender and can be guided by Him. What did David do after he did all of that? He repented. And he repented in a major way. And he turned to God. And here's the thing you and I need to know. When we turn to God, and He will forgive us. And we're going to read about that later on in this chapter. He's going to forgive us. And He's going to listen. He's going to remove that sin from us. That's the good news. You see, other people who want nothing to do with God, they don't confess their sin. They don't repent. My Bible says if I confess my sin, He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. Hallelujah. Right? Because here's what I look out there and I see a whole bunch of sinners. Sorry. It's just a fact. I look in the mirror every day and I see a sinner. So listen, we need to understand that David had a soft heart toward God. He wanted to do God's will in his life. And that's what he points out. So listen, now as he gets to David, now the history's over. I think, I think the Jewish guys there in the synagogue are waiting for more history because he's not even close to their time yet. And I think they're waiting for him to go through maybe the, the, you know, the, ex, the exile and coming back and Nehemiah and all of that. I think they're waiting for all of that. And he just like bumps way forward, right? And look at what he does. And I think this shocks them. Verse 23, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior. I think there's a pause there. Listen, my Bible has a little a little hyphen thing there. I think he took a pause and he says, listen, you guys know from the seed because everybody knows that there's a promise from the seed of David to, for the Messiah to come and deliver Israel. The Messiah, the Savior, He's going to come and He's going to set up the kingdom. And man, you say that and I think they all had a smile till He said who the Savior was, right? Out of this guy's seed comes the Savior, little hyphen, maybe he took a breath, maybe he had that dramatic pause. And then he says, Jesus. 
and I think their ears almost exploded off their heads. <laughs> what? Who is this guy? He's a rabbi. They knew he was trained under Gamaliel. Some of them did. Look at this guy had all this training. What's he talking I, I think one guy turned to another guy. Did he just say Jesus? I think he said Jesus. He said Jesus? You know, Jesus, the guy who was crucified in Jerusalem, the guy our leaders rejected and denied. Yeah, that Jesus. I think that's who he's talking I think that's who he's talking about. And so, <laughs> Paul goes on here and he tells them, listen, he brings up Jesus. Now he's going to bring up a prophet. Verse 24, after John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all people, to all the people of Israel. And it was John, and as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to lose. So listen, they knew that there would be a forerunner to the Messiah. So he's laying all that out, man. And I think these guys, I think these guys are trying to process it now. And you know, there's one thing, you know, when you share with people like, like you guys come and I share with you and you're pretty accepting, you're pretty kind. So every once in a while you give me a little scowl. But for the most part, listen, for the most part, you're listening and you're following along because I don't throw too many curveballs in what we're doing right I mean we all believe in Jesus if you're if you're a believer here today if you're not hopefully by the end you will be but listen we're kind of on the same page but can you imagine going into a synagogue now that's not getting out of Paul's comfort zone but what he's preaching sure is man and he just like he just like went like this with them going this way and then all of a sudden he went and man, there's got to be some looks. There's got to be some whispers going on. There's got to be some elbowing, which I see that occasionally. And there's that going on. And they're like, listen, everybody's like, what on earth did he just say? And then he brings up John. I'm sure they had a working knowledge of John. I'm sure they understood. Yeah, we know John the Baptist. We know what he did. So he brings him up. And then check this out. He's not done. Verse 26, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham. Listen, once again, he's trying to bring them along. Here's what you and I need to learn from Paul. When you begin to share with people, number one, build a bridge into their life. Now listen, he had a working knowledge of the background for the Jews, so he could build that bridge, right? He's building a bridge, and he's going to take them over the bridge. And you and I, sometimes, here's what you and I need to do. We need to just sit with people and listen to them. So then we can build a bridge into their life. We need to hear where they're coming from, hear what's going on. Too often as Christians, we want to go and we want to give people like, I got the good news, man, and I'm going to cram it down your throat, so sit there and listen to me. And they're going, I don't like you. So listen a little bit. Kind of build something so you can get involved with them somewhat. That's what he's doing here. Now listen, I think as he begins to talk, he's going, man, these guys are not walking across the bridge with me, right? They just like, I went this way, they went that way. So listen, he's drawn them back in. And what does he say as he's drawn them back in? Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham. Listen, I'm part of you guys, right? We're sons of the, uh, uh, of the family of Abraham. And those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. Here's what he's saying. This is not something new. Listen carefully. It's something fulfilled. This is great, man. The word of salvation was sent to Israel. You and I need to understand that, man. If you study your Old Testament, you will see Jesus all through the Old Testament. 
You'll see him, you know, you'll see him in the law. You'll see him in the prophets. You'll see him in the history books. You see him in, the, you know, the historical books. You see him in the, in the poetic books. You see him all the way through. And he's saying, listen, it was sent to you. This is word of salvation has been sent. For, verse 27, those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath have fulfilled them in the, in, uh, in have fulfilled uh, have fulfilled them in the coming of him. Here's what he's saying. And they're reading the prophets every Sabbath. Jesus was the fulfillment of what they're reading, and they didn't get it. That kind of scares me. I don't know about you guys, but it kind of scares me. Listen, I don't want to be somebody who's robotically reading the word, and I miss what the word's saying. I know we talk a lot here about reading through the Bible every year because I think that's important. But if you just do it robotically so you can get the gold star at the end and you don't get the Word in you, it's not doing any good. They were going to the Sabbath every... or Going to the Sabbath, going to the synagogue every Sabbath, reading the Law and the Prophets. They had men who were scholars who had memorized the Old Testament and they missed it. Do you hear what he's saying? They missed it. He was there. This was the very word that spoke about him. And they missed it. And not only that, look at verse 28. God used them to fulfill his plan. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. The very leaders who should have recognized him as the Messiah are asking Pilate to put him to death. Now, does, do you ever ask yourself as you read the Gospels and you go through the Gospels and then you go through Acts, why did they crucify Jesus and yet the Jews stoned others who, they, who opposed and who they felt were blasphemy. Remember, they stoned Stephen. They stoned Paul in a little while. Why did they crucify Jesus? Number one, that was God's plan. And that's the way he set it up. Number two, he used them to go to Pilate to kind of involve the whole world. You know, it's interesting. Some people talk about, you know, well, Rome killed him. The Roman soldiers, they're the ones who did it. Others say, no, it was the Pharisees, and, and they go on and on. And then sometimes I've even said, no, it's our, you know, it was us. We put him on the cross. Our sin. That's not even true. Jesus gave up his own life. He chose the moment. He chose when to die. He made sure it would happen for our sin. So listen, but here's what he's saying. God used these very ones to fulfill His plan. And they hand Him over to Pilate. Pilate put Him to death. Verse 21, Now when they had fulfilled all that was written, notice they fulfilled it concerning Him, they took Him down from the tree and they laid Him in a tomb. Listen, go back and read Psalm 22. Go back and read Isaiah 53 or 52 and 53. Go back and read Isaiah 40 through 52 or 53, and you start seeing all of that going on and all of that predicted. And listen, man, he says, listen, when they got done, they stuck him in a tomb. Now, here's the good news, man. I think Paul was waiting the whole time. He's doing all of this stuff to get to this part, right? They stuck him in a tomb, verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Woo! Yeah, listen, man, I think Paul like, yes, God raised him from the dead. People don't get raised from the dead every day. You guys know that, right? 
I mean, I think even we're kind of comfortable with it because, you know, we, we know, and we're kind of, we're kind of even nonchalant. Like, I think, I think celebrating the resurrection, I think we should be, our minds should be blown. Jesus rose from the dead. Listen, he wasn't resuscitated. He rose from the dead. He was dead, dead. And he became alive to live forever as proof that our sins were forgiven. Why did God raise him from the dead? To demonstrate to the world, not just to do a miracle so everybody go, woo! It was to prove to the world that our sins had been paid for. That that sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for our sin. And he rose from the dead. And here's what Paul's saying. Hey, you guys, he rose from the dead. Now try and process that in the first century. And I think they're thinking, oh, I don't know, man. Now this guy's lost it. Verse 31, he was, seen for, he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem and are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What does it tell us? Over 500 people saw him. Listen, we can say what we want. Eyewitnesses, I think, are still important even in our generation. And I think you have somebody that's an eyewitness to a crime and they go, yeah, I saw this and here's what I saw. That's pretty reliable. But you have two and their stories are identical? That's some real, real hardcore stuff, right? If you have four, that's even better, right? You have four people saying, I saw this, this is what happened. What if you have 500 don't tell me Jesus didn't raise from the dead. I'm always interested at this time of the year. I love the, the, the rags. What do we call them? The, 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 the ones that put out things and they put out the weird, weird stories of what happened. You know, aliens came and different things and you get them to inquire and stuff. I, I love to go to the stores and read. I like to read the headlines. They're like so bizarre. I used to buy them and read them on Resurrection. Maybe I'll read them this Resurrection Sunday. They come up with the craziest ideas of what happened to Jesus. It's like, Really? Why don't you, why don't you t check with the people who were there? Oh, because that makes sense. We'd rather come up with these bogus things. So listen, man. 500 people according to Corinthians. And Paul here is telling them, listen, there were many, many days people walked with him. They ate with him. We were with him and now we're here. Listen, Paul's saying, I'm not here to tear down what you believe. I'm here to build you up. I want to bring you some good news, right? Glad tidings of his promises. Oh, now, now we've got to talk about some prophets. Listen, he says, we want to declare this to you. Verse 33, God has fulfilled this for us their children and he has raised up jesus listen this is a fact paul's not saying i think he did it paul's saying he did it right and then he goes check this out as it is written in the second psalm you are my son today i have begotten you and verse 34 and as he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption he has spoken thus in isaiah 55 i will give you the sure mercies of david then in verse 35 therefore he also says in another psalm psalm 16 you will not allow your holy one to see corruption listen man he starts quoting their bible and he quotes it from heart. I'm sure he wasn't like fumbling through scrolls trying to find this, right? He's just like quoting it out. He's letting them know. And then he clenches it with verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep or died 
and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. Here's what he's saying. Go to the tomb of David. Look in there. You know what's in there? Bleh. That's what's in there. Interpret that. Bleh. Oh, very good. <laughs> so yeah, gotta, you got to you look in there and there's bleh in there. I love to have fun with you. You did a good job. Here's what Paul's saying. Psalm 16 and Psalm 22 and Isaiah 55 wasn't about David. It was about one greater than David. David saw corruption. And he goes, listen, all of that went on. And then, but, look at verse 37, but he whom God raised saw no corruption. Now check this out. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Woo! Here's what he's telling them, man. Because of him, your sins can be forgiven. Now that's good news, isn't it? Yeah? Some think that. Some of you are not so sure. Those of us who sin, we like our sins forgiven. Those of us who are self-righteous, not so much. I like the idea my sins are forgiven, but listen... It's one thing to be forgiven, but he goes that step further because, listen, Jesus didn't just forgive us of our sins. Check out what he did in verse 39. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Do you understand the difference between forgiven and justified? Hey, if I shoot you and kill you, I can be forgiven i still got consequences to deal with, right? Nod your heads. Just pretend you believe me. But if I'm justified, I don't deal with the consequences. Are you with me? Man, if I'm justified, it's saying, I didn't even do that. Is that good news? Come on. That's got to get you a little bit excited. Hey, not, are we, not only are we forgiven, we are justified by the blood of Jesus. I like to say it this way, just as if we had never sinned. We're justified. Man, I, that, is, that is like to me over the top crazy. And people go, I don't know, man. Is that like too much grace? You really think Jesus looks at you and doesn't see your sin? Oh, I hope so. Because if He looks at me and sees my sin, I'm in serious trouble. And listen, man, we're justified. And he says, look, the law couldn't do it for you. You guys have been looking for this. If there's one thing I believe that humanity needs is forgiveness. And then they need to be justified. Whenever I give an invitation and people accept the Lord, when I pray for them, I don't know if you notice, but almost every time, here's what I pray, that they would know that their guilt and their shame it's washed away. It's gone. That's justified. It's washed. It's gone. And I get excited when I... What, is, what, is, what does he say in First John? In chapter 1, verse 9, what does he say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's good news. It gets better. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Woo! So Paul's telling them that. Now listen, I think their eyes, I think some of their eyes are like this big. I think they're poking each other. I think there's a lot of stuff going on and they're like talking and I think there's some, they're scowling at him like, how dare you say that? Who do you think you are, you crazy man? So now, listen, he's not done. Maybe they read out of, maybe they read out of Habakkuk that morning. Some of you are going, have a what? What is that? 
It's interesting, some people... Never mind, I don't want to go there. <laughs> it's part of your Bible. It's, it's, that, it's that area between, like, you know, uh, Ezekiel or Lamentations and, and then Daniel. You get Daniel and then you have a whole bunch of little guy prophets, short books. Most of us don't know. Blow the dust off. Some good, cool stuff in there, right? They're called the minor prophets. They're not minor because they weren't major league prophets. They're minor because they're shorter writings. So don't, because some people tell me, I'm not going to read the minor prophets, man. I'm going to read the major guys. I'm going to deal with the minor guys. So listen, but listen, beware. Here's what he says. Look at verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. So here's what he's saying. You guys watch out. Then he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. Behold, you despisers. You know, maybe that's a word for somebody in here this morning. Maybe this morning as I'm speaking, you're going, eh, eh. And you're kind, of, you're kind of getting uptight with what I'm saying. I don't like this Jesus stuff. I don't want to believe in this Jesus stuff. Here's what Habakkuk says to you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Wow. Do you understand? That's a huge warning. Don't resist. Hebrews says it another day, man, another way. Man, today is the day of salvation. Do not resist the work of the Lord. Zechariah says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Man, today. And Habakkuk is talking to a generation who, who's getting ready to go into exile. And they've had, Jer they've had Isaiah the prophet. They have Jeremiah the prophet talking to them. They have all these warnings. And here's what he's saying. You guys are despisers, man. You know what's going to happen to you? You're going to perish. Listen, he's not going, <laughs> his heart's breaking. He can't believe they're doing it. And Paul to this group is saying, man, don't do this, you guys. Don't despise what's going on. Now we're going to stop there today. And you've got to come back in two weeks to figure out what happened. Right? And I'll ditch the junior hires. I'll be with you guys. So we come back and we got to find out what happened. What happened as Paul began to share the Word with these guys? But a couple takeaways for us. Number one, I hope we can kind of look at what Paul did and we can listen. We can begin to use that in our lives to speak into the lives of people around us. Once again, build a bridge. Find out. Find out what's going on in their life. Find out what interests them. And then try and build that bridge and try and talk about those things. And listen, Almost anything you begin to talk about, you can bring Jesus into conversation. But you've got to let them know you care about them. Isn't that what Paul's doing in this synagogue? Hey, you guys, I care, I care enough about you to give you a little bit of history about who you are and let you know that I know all about our history. And then, but here's the thing. I've got news so much better than that. And you and I have the good news. Let's get it out there, huh? And then secondly, a kind of another takeaway is I'm hoping some of us like read this and I'm hoping the adventurous types of us, I'm hoping you're going, I want to go do some mission work. And I want to jump out and do that. And we can lay hands on you and send you out and you can go across the Mediterranean or maybe, you know, wherever. You can take off and go wherever and do that. And God can use you. And maybe you're going to go to a faraway place. Maybe you're going to go to a place where no one's ever been. No one's ever shared the gospel. How exciting would that be? And you can be the first person to share the gospel there. I've got to do that once in my life. So God can use us in so many different ways. Let's just trust Him. Let's stand up and pray.